Mon Men is brought to you by Silfco. Silfco, <laughs> leading makers of the Silfco. Hello and welcome to Mon Men. I'm Inato Baloo and I'm joined by... Michael Darling, Nintendo, please don't sue us. <laughs> so this is a uh, little bit of a po- uh, podcast odyssey. We're going to be going through the original 151 Pokemon and their corresponding Alolan forms. Just kind of talking through them. We've got different we're doing all of that. Oh, we're doing all of them. Yeah, this is going to be an 808 plus part series. Okay, well, so, welcome to the first part. We're going to yeah. start with the uh, original starters. It's going to be a little bit of a jumbo-sized episode as we go through nine Pokemon, starting with the Squirtle, Bulbasaur, and Charmander families. Woo! So, first, before we get into this, Bully, what was the last one that you played, the last Pokemon? So, the last Pokemon I played was Diamond. Okay, all right. That's like ten years ago, I think. Wow, yeah. thank you for dating me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have played up through Sun and Moon. So, I know a bit more about the more recent ones, but it's going to be a while before we get that far. So Yep, so we got some time for me to potentially catch up, but uh, just for background, I guess, uh, introductions for this episode, um, since we talked about the games, I grew up on Pokemon. I mean, I, I knew, I played all the game original Game Boy games up through Diamond, I watched the show all the way up through Ash's, uh, I don't know, third attempt at the Pokemon League, where he finally broke into the uh, top four. And still lost in the and, final, I'm sure. And still lost, mm-hmm. because Ash is the most lovable loser that lets us know, hey, it's all about trying and effort. Um, but yeah, so that so that said, let's uh, let's dive into these Pokemon. So let's start mm-hmm. with the first in the Pokedex, that'd be Bulbasaur. Yeah, good old Bulbasaur, number one. Bulbasaur, number one. Yeah. Well, first... We're looking at the starters, and I just want to share this quote from Ken Sugimori, who was the lead designer of all of the Pokemon in the first games, as well as up to this day. He doesn't design all of them, but he will give the final approval on any design for any Pokemon. Uh, so he's saying about the starters, this is from a Japanese interview several years ago, the experience of keeping small animals such as frogs, Bulbasaur, lizards, Charmander, and baby turtles, Squirtle, obviously, as pets, it gives the game a sense of reality and makes it easier to get into the game. I realize it might be difficult to make an emotional connection if the first partner Pokemon is a tough-looking character. I think that's a very valid design note. I mean, it kind of like, I'm, I'm a video gamer by trade, and I mean, you know, that, uh, that speaks to me in terms of like why certain games like Super Mario Brothers has stuck with us in terms of level design and really easing the player into something that they can feel welcomes them in. So that's that's just tremendous. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me think about uh, about you know the design of a duck with a stick. <laughs> uh, we'll get to we'll get to Farfetch a little later. But the thing I didn't even realize was yeah, like these three starters are based on things that you might keep just in your bedroom as a cute little baby turtle, lizard, or frog. So 
Let's get to the frog first. So Bulbasaur. Mm -hmm. Bulbasaur, nice basic grass and poison type, interestingly. So that squeaking you hear is Baloo's dog, Cordelia, who is adorable and will be joining us from time to time when we don't need her to. Yeah, she's uh, she's a houndoom, a mini houndoom. So. <laughs> uh, but not nearly as evil. <laughs> so, yeah, so Bulbasaur. Poison and grass, or rather grass and poison, uh, which is interesting that the first Pokemon is a dual type. Yeah, and it's one of the few that has that distinction, I think. Because every other Pokemon, I believe, or at least among starters, is singular type. Yeah, among, well... I think in the seventh generation, Rowlet is a grass and flying, but I don't think, off the top of my head, there are any like first gen, like uh, first level starters that are uh, double typed besides those two. Yeah, because so, like they'll evolve into dual types a few of them, but I think Bulbasaur and Rowlet are the only ones that uh, have two types. But, and, of course, we're dancing around the ongoing controversy of the fact that Charizard is somehow not a dragon-type. Until it mega-evolves. Until it mega-evolves. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So, yeah, so Bulbasaur. Yeah, jumping back to Bulbasaur, we had a discussion kind of in preparation for this podcast about the fact that Bulbasaur, and amongst all the starters, there's kind of a uh, hidden difficulty setting with the starter that you choose. Yep. Um, Bulbasaur being kind of the normal difficulty setting. Because of its advantages well, easy, over easy, I'd say. Oh, we say, okay. Yeah, easy, because, you know, your first two gyms are... Well, we had a debate about this, actually. Okay. It was, for me, I think he's the easy one, because the first two gyms are a rock gym and a water gym, both of which are weak against grass types. Mm -hmm. uh, then I would put Squirtle as your medium difficulty, because it can take out Brock's rock gym easily. Misty's is just a even, like, even match. Mm -hmm. But then Charmander, Charmander's fucked. Charmander, fire is weak against rock and weak against water. Yeah. It's got nothing in those first two matches. Yeah, there were two kinds of people who chose Charmander. There were people who liked pretty fires, mm -hmm. aka arsonists. And <laughs> there were type A personalities who just really wanted to make things difficult for themselves. I think I was both. You picked Charmander as yours? I definitely picked Charmander. Even though I was playing Pokemon Blue. Oh. I still chose Charmander just to go counterculture. <laughs> so you picked the one that had the like the tank turtle on the front, even though the other one was the one that had the dragon that was like, yeah, I'll take the dragon plays. And yeah. you were still like, I'll take the dragon plays, but I'll take the one that's the other cartridge. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I would like, because not knowing how the trading system was going to work, how the battling system was going to work, I thought maybe I would like pull some kind of like, reverse psychology if I played somebody with a red cartridge like they would think I'd have Squirtle and they'd like flip me out like no it's rock paper scissors man <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know speaking of the rock paper scissors I remember uh, I didn't realize that your rival would choose a Pokemon based on which one you chose so when yeah. I played the game a second time after choosing Charmander I'm like okay that guy chose Squirtle this time I'm going to choose Bulbasaur and have the advantage against him nope Yep, 10-year-old me was totally flipped out when he then chose Charmander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like how Cordy made that squeak, like a morning zoo crew, after hearing your uh, foolish choice as a child. Yep, well, Cordy is 
definitely the uh, the hard difficulty starter, considering that she's a dark type. But then again, dark types do have a pretty significant advantage over because uh, they were used to balance out the psychic. Dominance. Yeah, because psychic was incredibly overpowered in the first gen. Like only bug, I think, was really good against it, and ghost. Yeah, but all the ghosts were half poison, so they would get knocked out by psychics. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like the bugs had just one good move, and the only bug that learned it was also half poison. Well, how so many? So Sabrina's gem was a pain. So how many ghost types were there in the first generation? I only remember three. Yeah, three. Just the Gaslight yeah. family. Yeah. Whereas like twenty-five of the original one fifty-one were poison. Like that's a full one-sixth of the Pokedex was part poison in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Like Bulbasaur, who is, who we're allegedly talking about right now. And let's, uh, yeah, well, let's let's dance around the uh, around the situation of trading back in okay, the old okay, days, yeah, too, right. because, because your first exposure, and this is key here in yes. terms of the trading discussion, is that Gengar, you can only evolve a Gengar through a trade, if I remember correctly. Sure. Yeah. And like there were four that you could only do via trade-in. And you were a Pokemon Yellow player. Yes, Yellow was my first game. Yeah. Uh, the only way I, with my blue cartridge, could get all three of those starters, the Bulbasaur, Squirtle, Charmander, after my foolish decisions, was through trading with a link cable, because we did not have a thing known as Wi-Fi back in my day, <laughs> kids. Um, you had to straight up get within five feet of another human and talk to them and look them in the eyes while you convinced them to trade their starter to you. To yeah, complete your and, Pokedex. Yeah, and we didn't have reading in Gen 1 either, so it wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'll just put my starter in the daycare for a few days, and then I'll pop out with a few eggs that I can send to people. You, no. kids, you kids have it so easy. We had to walk to school both ways uphill <laughs> to get all 151 of our Pokemon. But they made it easy for you guys to get to 750 or 812 or 999 by the time Detective Pikachu comes out with a, uh, with a corresponding Pokemon. But yeah, so the trading the trading issue is definitely was definitely a thing for me yeah. with Pokemon Blue, but with Pokemon Yellow, you had yeah. In Yellow, it was brilliant because they kind of based it a little bit on the anime. So you get Bulbasaur from a girl in Cerulean City if your Pokemon, well, if your Pikachu's friendship level was high, uh, which was a reference to the anime sort of. You get Charmander from a trainer who was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Here, take my Charmander, and then an officer Jenny in Cerulean would just be like. Hey, we got this squirrel that's in causing trouble. You want it? Yeah, and I know that it's been a while, and I don't know what access people have these days to the original run of the Pokemon TV show from like the mid '90s. But if you, Netflix. yeah, if you can go back and watch that original show, the first season, Ash has the tremendous luck, kind of corresponding to what Michael just described with the uh, Pokemon Yellow game he gets all three of those starters through sheer luck after being a total dingbat and oversleeping for his first day <laughs> getting Pokemon. He somehow, like, falls ass backwards into getting all three of the starters. And I think the implication is is that he gets the three starters from the other trainers that went to Professor Oak that day before him. Huh. Um, like, I, I never thought about that. I feel like that was kind of an implication. Huh. And that's, okay. like, because the trainer in the Charmander episode, and the Charmander episode, I will flat out say, is one of the, like, half dozen cartoons that has ever made me cry. <laughs> Thank you, Futurama Jurassic Bark. Um, <laughs> yeah, that episode with the Charmander is just heartbreaking. And the trainer definitely makes a comment, I feel like, in that episode where he implies that he hadn't had the Charmander for long before he gave up on it, just making him that much more of an impatient asshole. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, Ash just ends up with a Charmander, a Squirtle, and a Bulbasaur, mm-hmm. and only one of which he evolves, and only yeah. one of which, uh, and that one turns out to be a very poor decision. <laughs> well, that's because the Char, well, first Charmeleon, then Charizard recognizes that Ash is an idiot. So, I feel like I really want to get to Charmander, because okay. he's my favorite. Here, but let's, but let's, let's, let's discuss, let's yeah, discuss let's Bulbasaur's discuss Bulbasaur design. Boy, let's, get, love, let's get to our Bulbasaur. I love Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur is adorable. Like, I love that this is your first, the first one you see when you turn on the game. Like, you've gone through the intro, Professor Oak has been like, oh, what's your name again? And it's like, oh, who's my Dippy grandson? I don't know his name either. What is it? And what's your name? Also, here's my Dippy grandson. What's his name? Because, yeah, Professor Oak, he's a professor of Pokemon, whatever that means. Because he just sends, his research is sending 11-year-olds out to just go and catch things. Which, I question what you need to do in order to be a professor of Pokemon. Yeah, he was a lifetime study of Pokemon. I mean, this is, this is old hat. This has been pointed out before. Mm-hmm. This guy who spent his entire life studying Pokemon has data on three of them. <laughs> and I like, and the thing that baffled me is like, dude, there's, there's a pigeon right outside your office you could have studied. <laughs> you don't even have data on that one. <laughs> Yeah, but I love that the first one that you're shown is just this weird frog with an onion on its back, which the Pokedex says that the seed was planted there at birth, which makes me wonder, is this a manufactured Pokemon, or is that just metaphor? Also, the Pokedex is kind of weird, because like some of the entries, which we'll be getting to a lot later on, are incredibly you know, metal, might be one word to mm-hmm. describe it. Yeah. Like the Cubone thing is one that's been talked about a lot, where Cubone said to be, is said to be wearing the skull of its dead mother, which, like, what? And then there's Alakazam, who supposedly has an IQ of 5,000, according oh, yeah. to one Pokedex entry. And, you know, we're going to get to all these. Yeah. There's some fun ones in this episode that we'll get to. Yeah, there are some Pokemon that should outright, by their very existence, destroy the Earth. Yes. Um, so we're going to come back to that. But for right now... Frog with onion on his back mm-hmm. is just so sweet and so adorable. And you know the funny thing? I never thought of him as a frog, I guess. I thought dinosaur. Yeah, I thought I was going for I was, I got yeah. kind of a Gila monster. And this is kind oh. of my this has always been like how I've appreciated the design is that familiarity and how you can create an equivalency with something that actually exists. And I mean, you know, some of them are easier than others. You know, you said frog and then I realized well there is an actual frog Pokémon that we will get to eventually. Yeah. Um, and then... Double. And I mean, you know, there's... And then some of them are super obvious and just beating you over the head with it, like a goldfish Pokemon. Mm. And then some of them are a little bit more subtle. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the fact that these, you know, kind of like you said about that design, the familiarity and being able to engage with it on a very simple level of something that you've seen or can just transmute to something you've seen is kind of the power of this. Um, you know, and I joke about my little noisy dog being a hound doom, but I mean, that's just why there were pigeon Pokemon, Mm -hmm. you know, almost so many of us grow up in cities where there are pigeons flying around. And here we have this like fanciful creature that will be your friend. If Mm -hmm. you've ever run towards a pigeon, hoping it might jump on your shoulder. Well, (laughs) here's your fantasy escapism (laughs) so that your mom doesn't freak out and (laughs) swat it away. (laughs) If that was your childhood ambition, please get better ambitions. Okay. It's not too late. It's not too late. Okay, that uh, kids was known as a subtle hint at my childhood ambitions. 
So, what's interesting though, Bulbasaur, there is a real extinct animal known as the Bulbasaurus, but it was named after Pokemon, but not necessarily after this Pokemon. It was huh. named chronologically after Pokemon. So, what's interesting is that the researchers, when they discovered this, which uh, the specific name of the type species means leaf razor, similar to the Pokemon move, razor leaf, uh, and so one of the researchers who, uh, who named it said, uh, this was Christian Kammer, uh, if one wishes to read between the lines concerning certain similarities, I wouldn't stop them. Uh, later added that similarities between this species and certain other squat tusk quadrupeds may not entirely be coincidental. So although they gave the name Bulbasaurus as uh, just name that played off the fact that it has leaf razor imagery in its uh, fossil, uh, the name Bulbasaur is not necessarily a coincidence, is what the discoverer and namer has said. So there are real Bulbasaurs that are long extinct. They don't look like this little onion boy, though. That's unfortunate for <laughs> the fossil record. And I'm going to follow up that thoroughly insightful look at the a real-world paleological insight with the simple fact of why I didn't choose Bulbasaur when I was a kid mm. is because I thought his, ev his evolved forms looked gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, Ivysaur, Ivysaur, like, there's really, I've made notes for this episode, and mm -hmm. Ivysaur, I've got nothing other than it's got a cool shiny gold bulb when it's shiny. Yeah. That's it. Like, it's just, it's Bulbasaur, but more. And they just become more chompy. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah, they're mega chompers. Yeah. Uh, but what I do like is that of the three starter lines, I think the Bulbasaur line is the one that is the most consistent throughout. Like there's a Tumblr uh, called In Progress Evolution, where hmm. this guy has basically started sketching uh, as if like what if Pokemon matured like actual animals rather than just evolving in a flash of light into something else, and so creating in between stages for each. Pokemon huh. evolution. Uh, it's a very interesting Tumblr. It's, as I said, in-progress evolution. And so, looking at the one he did for the Bulbasaur line, it's pretty like straightforward. Like You can just see the idea in the normal Bulbasaur line of the bulb opening up mm -hmm. and then eventually growing into this big, full ecosystem on the back of Venusaur. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty natural growth, whereas like, you know, I guess, do we want to make this our segue into Charmander now? Mm. Because with Charmander, it's a lot more... Oh, yeah, there's a lot ...drastic of, of yeah. an evolution, um, and that's... One other note on Venusaur, even the Mega Evolution, it's just, the tree gets bigger, he gets bigger, it gets a lily pad on its head, that's it. That's what it Mega Evolves, whereas, like, yeah, the other two families, they make real changes. The lily pad's an interesting decision for me, because I always think a lily pad is just such a cute accent to anything so it's like if you add it to like a mega evolution for something it just kind of undermines the badassery of that mega evolution like charizard's mega evolution turns black oh like yeah. well, it's metal so that's one of the two options but yeah so so yeah so getting to the charmander line i mean that's kind of counter that's kind of the counter to you know bulbasaur's line which is that charmander goes from like you know this adorable little mm -hmm. salamander yeah a fire salamander yeah, which exactly. is 
which is you know such an interesting play on some of the uh, the wives' tales and folklore around salamanders that they are you know that they themselves cause fires because they're so often exactly. found soaking up the heat of dying hearth fires, um, you know, and then he grows into this six foot tall thing. Um, you know, and especially changes uh, appearance so drastically over the course of mm-hmm. that. To be honest with you, actually, um, I love the Charmeleon design so much, just on, like, it just looks thug as all hell. Oh, yeah, well... Like, I would actually resist evolving it to Charizard for, like, a few extra levels just to enjoy my <laughs> Charmeleon a bit. Yeah, the thing I love about Charmeleon is that consistently it's been depicted as just, like, this angry little jerk of a Pokemon, like... Every official arc has basically had it about to slash or with its head kind of up like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn into a Charizard and you're going to fear me. But the funny thing is, is like, let's consider the real world equivalency. And that's why that there's kind of, that's where you have kind of a jump is that's based on a chameleon and a chameleon, like yeah. the name straight up harkens to chameleon and chameleons are not these like fast, aggressive creatures. And it does look like a chameleon. You can see it in like the head horns that are starting to form. You can see it in like so many aspects of the design that this is inspired by a chameleon, but it's so weirdly flipped on like the behavior that we know of a chameleon. Yeah. Um, and we won't get to a proper chameleon Pokemon until Kecleon in Gen 3. So it's funny, so we kind of, so like this is something that's going to have us doubling back a little bit is like where we see later equivalencies where like, you know, there's definitely like a Pokemon in Gen 1 that'll hearken to a real, a real world animal and then we'll see another Pokemon from like Gen 3, Gen 4 mm. that'll hearken even more closely to that real world equivalent. Yeah. Well, and then when we get to Gen 5, it's interesting because that was a whole new Pokedex where they didn't have any of the old monsters in it and they sort of like did remixes of some of the ones from the previous four generations. So mm-hmm. that's another interesting thing that we'll see. Like, there's motifs that show up every so often, repeatedly. Like, uh, going back to Venusaur for a moment, in Gen 4, the fully grown starter, Torterra, has a tree and some bushes on its back, just like Venusaur has its giant palm tree and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, I had a... So one thought that occurred to me in thinking about the evolutions of Charmander and really, like, digging this in, I know that, like, the first surprise that we really have in Pokemon, especially in the TV show, hmm. um, is that Magikarp evolves into Gyarados. Yes. What, like, and you're just stunned that this stupid Magikarp that only knows Splash, maybe knows Tackle if you happen to catch the right one in the wild, you know, that this thing grows into Gyarados. But really, Gyarados is just, like, a big eel. Like, so... Hmm. So I posit to you, and I, I'm hoping we can maybe challenge this as it goes along, but from a scientific evolution standpoint, to kind of go off of what you said with the Bulbasaur line being mm-hmm. a natural evolution, that Charmeleon growing wings yes. into Charizard is a much more extreme evolutionary jump than for Magikarp to just elongate and grow mm-hmm. into a Gyarados. Yeah. Well, because Magikarp, I'm sure there's a mythological background to it, but there is kind of an ugly duckling joke of a thing going on with Magikarp, where oh, it's, yeah. like, here's this dumb, useless fish. Like, I think it only knows Splash and Tackle, mm-hmm. which, that's not helpful in any way. Well, but then it turns into this beast, and you're like, oh, what have I done? Like, there's that great visual gag that happens in uh, Pokemon Snap, where you 
throw a pesker ball at a Magikarp and it falls into the water and comes back out a Gyarados. You know, I never played Pokemon Snap, but because it just seemed like such an on-rails thing, but like hearing so much about it in terms of like the puzzle aspects of it, of like causing certain things to happen, like the reactions, what a creative like application of the Pokemon world. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, but that being said, I think that there, I think that there may be some, uh, some basis in folklore for that, that definitely rings a bell of some kind. And I think it may even be directly tied to mythology around the carp. So Sure. If we have if we have listeners that are interested in letting us know <laughs> about yeah. a folkloric tale, please do. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know the the Gyarados thing. There's this great meme on the internet, and I'll probably have to dig it up. Um, oh. Of like why a magic yes, is actually yes. the better of the yes. two. <laughs> oh, that's I know the one you're talking about. And it's so good, and it says like the one downside of this wonderful fish that if it if it gets old enough can jump over mountains. Yep. Uh, is that. It, it evolves into this ugly-ass thing. Yep. And it's the only Pokemon whose shiny version is gold. Solid gold. Yeah. Um, and also, I didn't know this Love until I saw gold. that meme. It's the only Pokemon that you can actually find in the wild at level 99. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which... there's, there's some trainer in gold and silver that has, I think, four magic carps. And they're all, like, high level, but they're magic carps. So it's just like... Okay, I just have to shuffle through this battle for a moment. <laughs> so this is a preview of an upcoming episode where we do get to the magic yeah. line. But yeah, so that's my challenge for the future episodes. Is let's just kind of put a pin in that for future episodes. Is this a more extreme scientifically evolutionary jump? Than Magikarp. Than Magikarp. Or just uh, is Charizard. Is Charizard the most scientifically uh, like gigantic jump? Well, have a leaderboard. Right now, Charizard is definitely there. Uh, so... A note about Charmander from the uh, Pokemon Stadium Pokedex. I love this. Even the newborns have flaming tails. Unfamiliar with fire, babies are said to accidentally burn themselves. Which, I just read that and immediately pictured this baby Charmander, looks at its tail for the first time, tries to grab it, singes its hand, tries to grab the fire again, and just like this endless... And then every time they do that, a disembodied voice says... Charmander used burn against itself. That's not very effective. But <laughs> Professor Oak's voice carries through time. <laughs> it's not time to use that. But that being said, it's just yeah, the Pokedex entries, especially as the Pokedex entries evolve over from yeah. game to game, is is one of the interesting things. I forget there's um there's one Pokemon whose whose Pokedex definitely changes with its uh and I'll have to do some research for the future episode. I think it's one of the fairy Pokemon. Um definitely changes with the uh, course of its popularity, so to huh. speak. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But yeah, so let's, uh, let's maybe let's yeah. wrap this up with Squirtle and its designers. Yeah. I think we... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember if there was anything else I wanted to say. Oh, well, uh, Charizard. We need to talk just oh, a little yeah? more about Charizard. So it has those two Mega Evolutions. Mm -hmm. Mega X, which is this black fire dragon combo with black wings blue on the interior and it just looks like which is all i ever wanted yeah it's a hell demon and it's exactly what we wanted uh also the shiny form for charizard is great because that's also like charcoal black mm. with red wings which is just interesting because it's one of the few shinies they changed from gold and silver really because in gold and silver and crystal also it was purple with green interior wings. I was about to say, I remember it being kind of a, uh, I, for some reason I remember it as blue, but yeah. Yeah, it was like purple. Game Boy colors. Exactly. 
Uh, and so they realized, okay, that's one that we probably want to do a little bit of changes to and make it look better. And so from Ruby and Sapphire on, it was always this black shining, which just looks incredibly badass. Yeah, and I mean, and Char- I feel like Charmander's always been the favored child in terms of design and just everything else. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, the fact that it has two mega evolutions kind of... Yeah, like it has a split route. Yeah. And then the Y just makes it more streamlined, because the original Charizard is kind of funny, because I look at it and I get that fat guy in a little coat kind of vibe. <laughs> That's perfect. Because, yeah, it's got, it's got a paunch, but then it's got, like, tiny little arms and tiny wings, and somehow it flies at high speeds. I'm just going to let you know this, that our outro for this episode is going to be Fat Guy in a Little Coat. All right, I'll get that queued up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, but then the Mega Y one winds up getting really streamlined and just looks sleek. Like, look at this thing. That's sleek. That I is kinda, an aerodynamic Pokemon right there. My first thought when I saw that design was, this is what they wanted to make Charizard look like in the first place. Oh, yeah. That's, That's the sense I got from it is like, but then they had to, with that first generation, again, speaking to something friendly that you can be friends with, mm-hmm. you know? They had to round them out. They had to give them a little tummy yeah. and everything like that. Well, also speaks to the limits of the sprite designs back That's on the true. Game Boy. Like, you get more... Uh, insane detailed Pokemon now because you can do that on 3DS and the yeah. presumably Switch next. Uh, speaking of weird sprites, the original Charmander sprite in red and blue had uh, like horns, spikes, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. on their back, which has not been a thing ever since, but the original sprite did. That's so true. Yeah. You know, the funny, speaking of the sprite design, like, it was, uh, I think one of the hardest things about kind of the, uh, the fantasy sort of immersion with this back in the original Game Boy days were the sprites on your side for oh, your yeah. Pokemon were just so limited and janky. Like, you're basically getting, like, a bust of your Pokemon, just like the head. And it was just, like, the weirdest proportion where you're just, like, where your Squirtle just looked like kind of Mr. Belvedere. Um. <laughs> I like the idea of Squirtle as Mr. Bell here. <laughs> we have one listener who I know would enjoy that reference. So, uh, so please, please write in for, yeah. with your thoughts on my comparison to Mr. Belvedere. Right, so, tell me more about Squirtle Belvedere here. So, Squirtle Belvedere, he was. Uh, so, I, so I mentioned, like you know, after um, after my first playthrough of Pokemon Blue as Charmander, once you know Squirtle got picked, I went back and got Bulbasaur. Um, you know, and Squ- it, 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 the Pokemon look great on the other side, but you talk about mm. how they look on this side. Like, yep. Bulbasaur just looked... Bulbasaur just looked like a chunky, angry kid. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the sprite was just terrible, and you're just trying... You're watching the TV show, and the TV show looks great, and, like... But, yeah, so Squirtle... I never played a Squirtle. Um, Squirtle looks like a baby. Yeah, Squirtle... Squirtle, he's, Squirtle is just the cutest. And, you know, I love... I'm... I love Charmander. I'm a, I pick fire type almost every single time I play one of these games as my starter um, because, like I said, pretty fire, and I like making things hard for myself. But Squirtle is probably the one water type that I'm really that I really have always thought was super cute. Oh yeah, Squirtle's adorable. Like it's that perfect idea of just it's a cartoon turtle that they added a tail to, which yeah. there is some mythological explanation for that, which is the uh, the Minogame, a Japanese myth of a turtle which lived for 10,000 years and grew a tail made of seaweed. So you see that on Squirtle, you see that also on War Turtle. Yeah, I knew that about the War Turtle design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then Blastoise is just 
a tank. Let's just do something for the Americans. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the Americans like guns, we'll give them guns. We'll give them two. Yeah. I want to point out that if you look at the original back sprite for Squirtle, it looks like a skull with a shell. That's just... Those original graphics, they're... It's amazing this franchise lasted. So, I mean, the one thing that I... Uh, so, the one thing that I kind of find... Interesting in terms uh, going back to the real world equivalency because this, okay. is, this is this is Squirtle War Turtle both of those are plays on the name of Turtle yeah and then we have Blastoise which is obviously a play off of the name of a tortoise which yes. is a completely separate species completely separate like tortoises are not amphibians they are they are land creatures so yeah. I just find it so so just in terms of like that's always been kind of a weird quirk for me um, in terms of like the etymology of the name. Is that Squirtle War Turtle? You're clearly deriving a name from an amphibious creature, but then mm-hmm. Blastoise is taking it from. Yeah. Unless unless somebody can correct me and tell me that Blastoise is actually taken off of a porpoise. So Blastoise. Blastoise. Blastoise being like a weird like I mean you know and I feel like they could have uh, I don't know gone with even Sea War Turtle, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but yeah so that's just a weird etymology thing that just always kind of struck me as. You know, they could have left the tortoise for, like, a ground-type turtle Pokemon. And that's another thing that I mentioned to you in kind of the planning for this, is that there are certain real-world creatures that they will draw inspiration from across multiple types. Yeah. Um, so there are multiple elemental types of mice. There mm. are, you know... you know, and Cats, too. Cats as well, and dogs. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know if we want to do a broad stroke on that, but, yeah, there are multiple types of bird. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um... You know, and so so it just kind of strikes me as like weird that they went for two different turtles within a single, or like two different types of reptile within yeah, a single exactly. evolutionary line. Whereas they're fairly consistent about that. Yeah. Like, Although it's just the naming, which is what's weird. Yeah, 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 and they could have had like a ground tortoise line. They could have had like a earth tortoise. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there has been a ground type tortoise Pokemon. Because they revisited the turtle concept later on, but that was still a water type. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, tortoises being what they are, and I mean, being land creatures found in deserts even, where there's a dearth of water. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seems to me like that's, uh, you know, that's uh, 800 plus Pokemon later, we're still, we still haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, but we have seen electric mice, and we have seen all other sort of mouse. Yeah, and many um, other electric rodents. But we'll get there as we get there. As we get there. Yeah. It's so, a long journey ahead. Previews, gentlemen. Previews. Yeah. <laughs> My question, though. War Turtle, why does it have fuzzy ears? The better to hear you with. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, there's like, no reason for that. It's That's the one detail that I find weird in this whole evolutionary chain. So let's really let's really take a look at all nine of the Pokemon that we have reviewed on today's episode. Yeah. And let's take War Turtle with his fuzzy ears, his fuzzy whirlwind tail mm-hmm. and let's just really say that somehow in a group of nine pokemon two of which have flowers on their back mm-hmm. war turtle is the most fabulous <laughs> let's let's recognize that achievement all right so we got most fabulous goes to war turtle this <laughs> most week. fabulous goes to mm-hmm. war turtle <laughs> and i want to point out blastoise the mega evolution as we joke blastoise he's got cannons that's his part of the kit uh and what did they decide to do when they mega evolved him? Well, let's add another cannon. Yeah, I, I. This time he's got arm shooters. It's like some Iron Man war machine shit. Yeah. Like. <laughs> 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 I want to 
share this from the Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald Pokedex about Blastoise. They can shoot bullets of water with enough accuracy to strike empty cans from a distance of over 160 feet. Which just begs the question, where in the Pokemon world are people doing this? Like, I'm just imagining this old farmer with his Blastoise <laughs> in a field shooting at tin cans. So I think this is a good lead into our next section for the uh, for the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think it's time we get into Mon's World, which is the segment where we discuss the Pokemon of the day and what we think their roles would be in the real world, if anything. Yeah. Um, and so apparently you're saying that Blastoise. <laughs> Blastoise is the NRA. Blastoise, Blastoise is a favorite of like I'm picturing him like in the Southern Bayou. <laughs> he, he's he's up there in the Bayou, ready to lock her up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Blastoise would obviously be for, like, I think most of the water types we have seen in the show or referenced in the game as being used for firefighting abilities. Yeah. Like, Blastoise, definitely. Like, you've got a house fire, you send this guy in. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, and that's. The Squirrel Squad, 100% on, spot on. Mm. Um, so then let's go to kind of the opposite side of that token. The the Charmander line. Like, what do we think they're Arsenal. Doing? And lots of it. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I think that they might just be like a black market traded pet, unfortunately, <laughs> um, by enthusiasts. The same way you know that, the same way we all have know that one guy or that one, like that one kid back in school whose older brother had a boa constrictor in his room. Like, it wouldn't be a boa constrictor, it would be a Charmeleon. Um, and, you know, I think in the alternate history, I, you know, I may be going very dark here, and darling, you can feel free to time, to time stamp me on this. This is the but, first episode. But we would be talking about Charizard being used instead of Napalm and Agent Orange. Wow. Like Charizard would have been used for some war crimes, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, that flame that flamethrower move... Come on, yeah. <laughs> it's called flamethrower. I mean, a more practical use that we do see in the games is in Sun and Moon, you have ride Pokemon that you can summon. Mm -hmm. uh, in lieu of these TMs, because they, no, the HMs, because they finally got rid of those, so you don't have to have one guy that you keep in your party because, oh, there's a bush I might need to cut down. I need to have my Scyther or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, they have ride Pokemon that replace that, so there's a Lapras that you surf on, there's a Tauros that knocks over bolt, uh, boulders as you're running on its back, uh, a Machamp that pushes giant stones, all that. And then in lieu of fly, you glide on a Charizard. Huh. Which, you know, that's just awesome. That's what you wanted to do 20 years ago as a kid. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I mean, to take it back from the dark place that I took it also, I mean, I could see Charizard being used as like a controlled form of fairly renewable energy, where it's like used in manufacturing for smelting and for things like that. And I mean, but then again, you're running into safety concerns having a wild animal running around as well. <laughs> unless, you're, unless your factory workers have passed the requisite safety checks and have the required gym badge to command a Charizard. <laughs> um, which again, hearkening back to the show, that was a big problem for Ash. Yeah. Um, which just... Charizard did not respect him. Yeah. I, I remember I was obsessive-compulsive a little kid enough that I straight up leveled up all my Pokemon to the point where I got where I kind of soft-locked myself in the game because all six of the Pokemon that I was using as my main group at the time, I think after the third gym, leveled up to the point where none of them would listen to me. 
So I had to create a backup team <laughs> from more or less scratch. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, just it was the B squad that I had to go into. Uh, I think that was I think it was the electric gym to uh, to go and take down uh, Lieutenant Surge. Yes, the Fighting American, as they call him. Yeah, what a God! What a should we be insulted by that as Americans? <laughs> I mean that we're in Mon's world here. This segment, so. I think we need to bring up the fact that he mentions that his Pokemon saved him during, quote, the war, which has so many questions. Yeah. So you might not be far off about Charizard being used for war crimes, we which may is ha- a brand new sentence to the world. Yeah, we may have to have a special side episode, like kind of uh, maybe a few episodes in of Pokey fan theories, because I because we definitely traded some back and forth like in preparation for this episode that don't really align with the Pokedex, but like just kind of talk about the history of the world there are some great fan theories out there about like kind of the hidden backstory mm-hmm. of the pokemon games world um some of the other stuff that we spotted but we'll save that for a future episode yeah. but you know i will say that lieutenant surge and his mention about electric pokemon in the war mm-hmm. definitely vindicates me a little bit about my charizard theory <laughs> <laughs> some charizard was coming blowing up the countryside and he just uses right to had him do thunder to take it down. Mm-hmm. I can see it. I yeah, see there it. you go. Yeah. So, so the last Pokemon that we haven't discussed the real world is the Bulbasaur line. What do we think they're doing in the real world? Do they do they have a use in the real world? Are they just are they just little things that we see darting around the ponds and parks and gardens? Yeah, that's a great question because there's a reference in uh, the I'm pulling it up one moment the Diamond and Pearl Pokedex entry for Venusaur. It mentions that. Uh, after a rainy day, the flower on its back smells stronger. The scent attracts other Pokemon. So maybe there's Venusaur perfume. Like, Venusaur doesn't mm. seem like the kind of Pokemon you'd use to market perfume, but, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's extract, yeah. like, would be useful in certain perfumes, or maybe it's used in tracking and, you know, by scientists to tag certain animals, like it help, would help with capturing animals for tagging. But, you know, the immediate thought that I had, and this is probably just me being a simpleton, Gardening, I just think they garden. I just yeah. think they help, you know, with their little like vine whip. They help trim hedges and stuff like that. You know, yeah. maybe help fertilize also. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our final segment of the program. Yep. So this is, to be honest with you guys, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of real world background on this. This is the epi- This is the section that actually got us talking about starting this little podcast odyssey, and this is a section that I like to call. Mon Appetit. <laughs> this is where we discuss the Pokemon of the day and which one we think would taste best to eat. And we're going to tackle a big question with this episode, which is a debate or potentially agreement of whether or not we think eating Bulbasaur is vegetarian friendly. You know, that's a great question. I think, first off, Bulbasaur would be delicious because it's got, you know, it comes with an onion on its back, you put it in a steamer, and you got a nice little steamed onion, steamed mm-hmm. Bulbasaur deal. Uh, He's his own side salad, let's put it that way. But, you know, I feel like we might have to talk to an actual vegetarian for this question. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know, I think maybe because it has some degree of sentience, it can say its name after all. Yeah, and I mean, this is an interesting thing, is that there's so many reasons why you want to be vegetarian. And I mean, you know, I think probably the most prevalent reason and important reason for being a vegetarian is the environmental case, which is that, you know, meat-eating animals require so much sustenance and so on and so forth because of their metabolisms and things like that. So, 
without having done any research into Bulbasaur's actual consumptions, <laughs> um, I'm going to assume that it consumed, that I imagine, I, I see that little chomky boy eating just as much as like a cow does, especially like <laughs> when he's a Venusaur and an Ivysaur. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I'm seeing well, him. But they also photosynthesize. Yeah. They've got those bulbs on their backs so they can use solar beams. So, so they're kind of like the Prius of the Heifer family is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. They've got that they've got that gas tank, but they're still got that like <laughs> that, that, solar. Yeah. Yeah, they've got that battery also. So <laughs> so maybe not as bad for the environment as like cows with their methane production, but you know, I honestly I'm going to err on the side of like just given the uh, the mobility, the the sentience and everything like that. I'm going to say that they're not vegetarian friendly. Yeah. Um I think the real question will be when we get to some like oddish or Gloom or Victory Bell, like any of those, those are ones that are plants that also talk. So we so, so let's uh so you're so um so I heard you say that you think Bulbasaur would be tasty in a yeah. dish. Is he your pick? Are you are you picking Bulbasaur or do you want to go with Ivysaur or Venusaur? Do you think maybe the seasoning might be better? I feel like yeah, I feel like Venusaur might be a little too gamey. Because mm. I mean I'm sure that's all muscle, but still, like yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of monster there. Like, Bulbasaur is a perfect, like, roast size. Yeah, I mean, if he were a little bit less grassy, I'd say that that Venusaur would probably be, like, a great marbled Kobe beef, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I'm wondering about the fat content in there, so yeah. you're probably just getting, like, super gamey, like, really tough meat. Plus, what do you do with the tree? Bingo. Yeah. A really weird, large garnish. Um... For my part, I think I'm gonna. I think I might surprise you, which is that I'm not going with the Bulbasaur line. I actually think the exact same thing you said about the Bulbasaur meat about uh, Charmander. I think that the constant heat and flames, especially <laughs> if it being kind of a lean, a relatively lean reptile, you know, that's not good eating. I mean, I've had crocodile before, which I guess is like the close, maybe the closest real world equivalent we might have to a Charizard. But all the same, it's a very tough meat. You can only eat it in very specific meals and really have it come out well, and it has to be prepared just right. So I'm gonna go with a little bowl, little bowl of squirtle soup. Hmm, okay. I think I think you know turtle soup. Okay, turtles and soup are, are a delicacy in Ecuador, especially. Um, you know, and I just think that uh, squirtle soup would be delicious. Yeah, and so. we do know that they eat Pokemon in the Pokemon world. We've seen Ash and Brock fantasize about eating Magikarp. So there you go. So you know, <clears throat> these are the questions that we demand answers, Game Freak. Yep, so we will be taking a dive next week into the first set of bug Pokemon. Oh yeah, well we've got, we're going to Route 1, we got some ugly bugs coming, so. Yeah, so that Mon Appetit will be very interesting. Oh, so, so I don't know what eating. So, thank you for joining us on this first step on the journey on Mon Men. I'm Inato Blue. And I'm Michael Darling. Darling? And here's, here's a little music for Charizard. Don't do it. <laughs> That guy in a little coat. That guy in a little coat. Don't. <laughs> that guy in a little coat. That guy in a little coat. Take it off, dickhead. I'm serious.